You are listening to a message recorded at Living Hope Church in Southwick, Massachusetts. We hope you find encouragement through God's Word today. So I want us to start off this new year with, with a focus on having a hunger for the Lord. And it's taken from Matthew chapter 5. And we all know the Sermon on the Mount. In, Jesus, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus shares what is probably his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And in it, he covers a series called the Beatitudes, things that you'd be blessed if you did them. And I find it very interesting that he has one of those Beatitudes. There's a phrase that he says that strikes me as being very interesting because this is coming right after Matthew chapter 4 where Jesus was tempted in the wilderness and he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. Now, I'm telling you today, don't fast for 40 days and 40 nights, okay? I don't want to do any funerals. All right, you know, that's something that Jesus did. I don't think it's something you should attempt. But I find it interesting that he was without food or water in the wilderness. He was tempted by the devil on three occasions. And he has this phrase to say in Matthew 5, 6, and this will be the focus of the verse today. He says this, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are those who hunger and and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. I believe that there's a message here in this for us today. We need to have a hunger for God and the things of God. What does that mean to have a hunger for God? It means to have a hunger to know Him better, a hunger to be in fellowship with Christ, a hunger to be led by God's Holy Spirit, a desire to to love what God loves, to, to live out your life in such a way where God is magnified and glorified. There are many things in this world that will certainly vie and compete for your attention and your affection. But it's up to us to bring ourselves back to a place where we have a hunger and a desire for God. So there's five things I just want to share with you real briefly today. And then when at the end, we're going to actually encourage us to actually do that. And say, Lord, I, I want you to give me a hunger for you like I've never had before. That going into this year, that I would pursue you with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Let's talk about what it means to have a hunger for God. Having a hunger for God means that number one, first and foremost, nothing is more important to you than getting closer to God. Nothing. Now, family's important, your job's important, your responsibilities are important. God didn't design you to become a monk and pull away from everything else and do nothing but pray. God released you into this world to be full of his spirit and full of his word to go forth and to do great things for God. But you can't accomplish that if you don't spend time with him. You need him more than anything else. When we think about hunger, we don't often think about it in relation to God. Most often we relate hunger to our physical needs. But what if we applied what we know towards our physical needs towards our spiritual needs? Hunger is defined as, one, a craving, an urgent need for food or its nutrients. But number two, its second definition is that it's also a strong desire. When was the last time that you had a strong desire for God and the things of God? 
Thirst is defined as a feeling of dryness and a longing for refreshment. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. When we feel hunger and thirst physically, what do we do? If you're hungry, what do you do? You search to find something to eat. When you're thirsty, you go out to find something to refresh yourselves. How many times have you had, like, maybe a late night, you're coming home, whether it's from the airport or from work, and you're starving? What do you do? You go and look and seek out the place where you can find something to eat. Uh, Usually, if it's late at night, you'll drive to two or three different places and realize they're closed. So what do you do? You try desperately to find a place where you can find something to eat. When you're thirsty, what do you do? You go and find something that will quench your thirst or refresh your your thirst. You do something like that to be able to help you find refreshment. When we have as our motivation hunger and thirst, it moves us from what we lack to finding something that will sustain us. We usually get up, we either make food, buy food, eat food, or get something to drink. We're moved by need. Hunger is desperation. Hunger is drive. Hunger is pursuit. But think about the times in your life where you have felt spiritually dry or spiritually hungry. And I've had conversations with people like this. What do most people do when they experience spiritual dryness? Well, usually they complain and lament, saying they don't feel God the same way they used to. You ever been there? And it's a very passive kind of dryness. It's like a state they can't get out of, and they don't even want to try. It's like, oh, I'm spiritually dry. I just feel like things are dry. They're dry. And people don't do anything about that. But what if you applied the same motivators that motivate you to go eat and drink physically to spiritually. If you're thirsty spiritually, you don't go, well, I guess I'm just going to starve to death and I'm just going to dehydrate here spiritually. No, what we learn from our physical life says, I should get up and go to the places and the things that will refresh and satisfy me. But unfortunately, a lot of people don't do that when they are in a dry place spiritually, when they're thirsty spiritually. They take it very passively. And there are times where I can recognize where there's a hesitation there, and there could be a hesitation for any number of reasons. Sometimes it's an unconfessed sin in their life, that they'd rather not get rid of that sin in their life. So in, in response to that, they stay back from God, and they get further from Him. Sometimes it's a lack of spending time with God. Maybe they haven't been in church in weeks. And they're saying, I'm feeling spiritually dry inside. There's a reason for that. You're not in fellowship with God and in fellowship with other believers. So no wonder you feel spiritually dry. Well, I'm feeling spiritually dry. When was the last time you cracked open the Bible? When was the last time you spent time alone in worship? I can tell you over the 24 years of my life I've been in ministry and the 30 plus years I've been, on, uh, I've been a Christian, that I can honestly tell you that there have been times that I have felt spiritually dry inside. But you know what happens? I go and I spend time with God and it's just like riding a bike. You get back on and you start doing it again. The only thing that keeps you from... Finding that experience with that refreshment of God is you. 
because you're saying, well, I, I don't think I can experience what I used to experience. I can't have what I used to have. I'm not being fed. My needs aren't being met. It was never anyone else's job to feed you. You're an adult. And you're a spiritual adult, too. My job as a Christian is to feed myself, to shake off the heaviness, to wake up to the spiritual realities in my life, to wake up to the things that the Spirit of God would say to me. There are times where we may not want to go into God's presence because we know what He'll say to us. And we don't like what He has to say to us. It usually results in something like, you need to change this thing in your life, and you're perfectly happy with the way things are. But there's this tension, this tension between wanting to be close to God, but still wanting things to be just as they've always been. And you've got to fight through and work through that tension. What if you applied the same drive for spiritual satisfaction that you did for your physical hunger and thirst? How different your life might be. This next week, you'll be fasting and praying. As you fast, let the hunger remind you to pray. Don't be quick to give in to your hunger for food. Say, oh, I have a little hunger pain, so I'm just going to go eat now. That's the time to pray. That's the time to press in. Instead, use that time to pray and increase your dependence upon God because Jesus wants us to have a spiritual hunger. Psalm 63, verse 1, the psalmist writes this. He says, O God, you are my God. Early I will seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. He writes that he longs for God like a thirsty man is longing for a drink. And not just that he'll wait for someone to come serve him water, but that rather he'll pursue and look for God until he finds him. When you're hungry and spiritually dry, go to the spiritual things that refresh and renew. Don't stay away from them. The second thing about having a hunger for God, remember that revival starts in the heart, then in the home, then in the church, then in the world. Revival starts in the heart, then in the home, then in the church, and then in the world. It doesn't just... Revival just doesn't come because one person says, you folks need to be in revival. A good service is not revival. A good service is the catalyst that motivates you for change. It fires you up on the inside. So when you go home, you said, I need to get closer with God. Not, I need to go to the next service. Go to the next service, be a part of those things, worship, enter in. But it's not a substitute for you spending time with the Lord. It's not a substitute for his presence. You've got to spend time with Jesus. And it should motivate you and move you. Let God change you first. It's very easy for me to say, you people need to get closer to God. But when I point, I'm pointing at myself too. I need to get closer to God. I need to be more devoted to Him. I need to repent. I need to, to confess my heart and my devotion to Him. I need to get closer to Him. I need to not be complacent anymore. What I'm saying to you, I'm saying to myself. It needs to start with me. It needs to start with you. Revival needs to take place in the home. There's nothing worse than someone who says, let's be spiritual, but you're the same at home. Nothing worse than a, a husband or a wife or a father or a mother that says, 
It's time to be spiritual, yet you haven't changed anything about the way you interact with your family or how you approach life. Revival needs to take place in your heart so that when you're at home, you are carrying out and acting as though a Christian should. Not just because you feel motivated in that moment to be Christian. Not just because God's speaking to you about getting your heart right and you start yelling at all your kids about how they need to be right. Be right in yourself. When you are living for God in your household, others will take note of it. Include them in it. Be a person that is encouraging. Be a person that prays and can be seen praying. Be a person that's in the Word and shares the Word. And sometimes you have to be intentional about leading your family through the Word. Do things that are right and good and lead your family in doing those things that are right and good. We see revival in the heart, revival in the home, and then revival in the church is when people come to church ready to worship God. When they come to church ready to pursue God. Not, God, what are you going to do for me today? Or, Pastor, what are you going to bring me today? But rather, God, what do you want to do in me? And let me be available to be used by you in your church. Let it not only move you to worship, but move you to service as well. So that you say, you know what, my God, God has put in me a heart for the things that are of him. He's given me a heart for the youth. He's given me a heart for the children. He's given me a heart for senior citizens. He's given me a heart for the homeless. He's given me a heart for school kids after school. Whatever God puts on your heart to do, that should be done through the vehicle that is his church. Not some other church. Not some other organization. Not that you aligned yourself with somebody else and go, well, I feel motivated to do something over there. May God raise it up in your heart to do it here as well. Because when God begins to move in the hearts of the individual and the hearts of families and you bring that into church, a fire starts to burn, a passion for God that cannot be quenched. And then when that happens and people start in this church start moving outside of these walls, to touch other lives, then we see revival in the community and the world that we live in. A hunger for God says, I'm willing to start with me. This week of prayer is about that. It starts with me. We're doing it corporately. In case you didn't know, I'm asking you all to join me in fasting and prayer. But it starts when you say, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to follow after God. Revival happens when one inspires many to go after God. The third thing about having a hunger for God is having a hunger for God means you starve the sinful nature and feed your spirit. You starve the sinful nature and feed your spirit. I got news for you. This week is not going to work for you at all if you don't change anything about your behavior or anything about your routine or anything about your schedule. It will, it will do nothing for you. You will end up, by the end of this week, more frustrated than anything else. Why? Because you've just kind of added it as a layer on top of what you're already doing. Instead, what you need to be able to do is say, okay, God, I realize you're speaking to me. I realize you're working in my life. I need to remove the things that are not pleasing to you and allow you to put in the things that you want to put into my life. There's an old saying, whatever you feed will lead. Romans chapter 7 tells us that we have two natures at work within us, our flesh or sinful nature and our spirit. Our sinful nature wants to do what is bad or disobedient, 
but God's spirit within us wants to do what is good. You have to feed one and deprive the other. I will tell you this, that both have hunger. Both have hunger. Both have needs. Both want to be filled and satisfied. Temptation is real because you have a sinful nature that says, I want to do what I want to do, and it doesn't matter what anybody else wants. So if you struggle with that temptation, if you struggle with that inside of you, that's normal. But you have to fight that hunger with a hunger for spiritual things and pursue those things. You have to feed one and deprive the other. Feed the things that strengthen your spirit and deprive the things of your sinful nature. Fasting is a physical exercise, but it's also a spiritual one. The world we live in has all kinds of physical desires and hungers. In fact, most of the world is driven by these desires and pursue to have them. Many times we don't even realize how driven we are by the needs of this world. Having a hunger for God and His righteousness means I resist the temptation to chase after the things of this world, and I choose to find the things that strengthen and sustain in the right things of God. We need to learn to start finding our strength in Him. At first, it might seem unpleasant. Let me give you a nutritional example. If you've ever tried to eat healthy in your life, you recognize that it can be incredibly awkward and uncomfortable and unpleasant. Let's be honest. Because when you are eating healthy things, and I'm not talking about, listen, okay, we say, okay, let's be healthy and you put all kinds of fatty dressings on things, and you coat it with butter. I meant if you really had to eat healthy. Like if you had to sit down and eat healthy, and maybe you've tried it, maybe you brought your family through it, maybe you brought your spouse through it. At first, it seems odd. It seems awkward. You don't enjoy it. You don't even like it. But you recognize, I need to do it because at the, in the end, it'll be more healthy for me. Yes, there are going to be things that you eat, and believe me, I love junk food. I shouldn't, but I do. It's my stress eat, okay? I'm just telling you that. That sometimes I stress eat those things. And those things feel good going down. I'll be honest with you. Can I get an amen here? Those things feel good going down. Listen, pulled pork and buffalo wings feel good going down. I'm not going to paint it any other way, okay? You know, hostess cakes from the, from the convenience store feel good going down, but like in the end you recognize it's not going to be good for you when you get into your 60s, 70s, and 80s. Host, that hostess is going to come asking for the bill to be due in your, your well-being, in your kidney functions, in your liver functions, in your joint functions, and all of a sudden you recognize that wasn't a good idea. I wish I hadn't done it. So nutrition is about I'm choosing to do things that are unpleasant that will ultimately be for my benefit and for my health down the road. What if we did that spiritually? What if we said to ourselves, I recognize that these things, although enjoyable, although they are something that feeds my ego or feeds my pride or feeds my lust or feeds my drive and desire, what if I said to myself, that's not good for me. I'm going to cut that out of my life. And instead, I'm going to pursue spiritual things. I'm going to read the Word. I'm going to pray. I'm going to worship. I'm going to do good things for others. I'm going to love my neighbor. And you know what? When you first do it, it's awkward because you're not used to it. It's a little strange because I've never done this before. 
In fact, sometimes your prayers can be like very stilted and very spaced out. You're like, I don't even know what I'm doing with prayer. But just because your conversation doesn't feel like it's really good to you, I would challenge you to see what the Lord would see when you come and pray with him. He doesn't look at the words you're saying. He's looking at you're spending time with him, and he enjoys that. You're spending time with him, and he loves you. You're spending time with him, and you're growing closer to him. Don't look at what you say or what you'll get out of it. Instead, look at it and say, you know, I've got an appointment today that I simply must keep, and it's with God. And I will keep that appointment with him. Look at your spiritual life the same way you look at your physical life. Yes, it might be hard. Yes, you might long for those other things that you used to do before you were a Christian. Yes, it might seem like I'm changing my behaviors and actions, and these are lifelong behaviors that take time to change. And it may seem awkward. It may seem difficult. But what the purpose here is for your long-term spiritual health and well-being so that you might be healthy in your heart. You might be healthy in your spirit. It'll be so strange that sometimes your friends will say, like, this is really weird. Like, your non-Christian friends will, won't understand why you're not doing those things anymore. And you just tell them, I'm trying to get spiritually healthy. One benefit we don't think of from hungering and thirsting for more of God is number four. When we hunger and thirst... For more of God, he takes out the old things and makes room for new things in our life. Takes out the old things and makes room for new things in our life. The result is less of ourselves and more of Jesus. More of his spirit. More of his character. More of his heart for things. So that you develop a greater sensitivity to the Lord and to the Holy Spirit. It is possible that as you walk as a Christian and you neglect this practice, you can become dull to the voice of God. Yes, he still speaks and still speaks to you through, through his word, but there will be times where if you neglect dialogue with God, you neglect time with him, that you won't have that same sensitivity to things in your own life that needs changing or how God needs you to act on behalf of someone else who needs him in that moment. When you become desensitized to those things, he can't use you the way that he wants to use you. And that should motivate us. When we choose to do these things, we're saying, I'm clearing out space for you. You ever clean your house after spring cleaning, and you go through all the stuff that you don't wear anymore, and you go through the things you don't use anymore, like you don't need that VHS recorder anymore, you don't need those pants that are two sizes too small for you. You know, you know, you don't need that dress or that coat that you probably don't wear anymore because it's out of style as of 10 years ago. Don't wait for another 20 years for it to come back in style. You don't need those things. And when you start clearing them out, what do you recognize? It's like, wow, I have all this space that I didn't know before. And all of a sudden, you start getting real creative about what you want to use that space for. And what do you do? You fill it with other things, right? But you fill it with new things. God wants to fill us with new things inside. Do you understand what I'm saying? Is that as we remove the old in our life, the things that we don't use anymore, the things that you thought you needed, the things in your life that became a habit, a dependency, a lifestyle that took the place of God's presence in your life. When you remove those things and you allow for God to put good things into your life, you recognize God's giving you his compassion. God's giving you the sensitivity to his spirit. 
God's giving you fresh motivation. God's filling you with his spirit to a greater degree. God's releasing gifts in your life that you didn't know were there or that you had let kind of fall asleep and go dormant. God's awakening those things once again. But he can't move if there's no space to move. Ever been in the house of someone who hoards things? Can't move, can you? Can't move. Well, I might need those things. You don't. You never did. But fear causes us to hold on to things we don't need anymore. Comfort causes us to hold on to things we don't need anymore. That's why you have locks of your kid's hair, which is gross, that you had from when they were babies. Just throw it away. Stop it. Don't do that, okay? You know? You're like, well, I like that. No, you don't need those things, Okay? You don't need their baby blanket. You don't need the, 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 the stuffed animal they had when they were little. You don't need all these things. What are the things that are essential? Keep the things that matter and throw out the things that don't. I know it sounds like a self-help kind of uh, teaching today. But there's a truth here I want you to get. If you want to see God fill your life with greater things, remove the things that are unimportant and see what he'll do. Believe that today. When we take out the old... We make room for the new that God wants to do. And finally, number five, when we hunger after the things of God, Jesus promises that we will be satisfied. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Not that they might be filled. Not that maybe I'll fill you. You shall be filled. And Jesus makes a promise. A lot of the the Beatitudes come with a promise. And he says, blessed are you if you do these things. Blessed are you if you hunger after these things. What does blessed mean? Blessed means happy. Blessed means satisfied. Blessed means fulfilled. You will be blessed if you do these things. And it's a blessing to be hungry for God. It's a blessing to be thirsty for the things of God. Because when you pursue him, you will find him when you seek him with all your heart. You have to have a desire for him. And when you have that desire for him, he makes a promise, I will satisfy you. I will fulfill you. I will complete you in a way that you didn't think that you needed, but you do. Jesus makes a promise, and his promise doesn't disappoint. Jesus does not make empty promises. Jesus promises that you will and you shall find your fulfillment in God. And he has the righteousness that we seek. This is not a righteousness that we ourselves can obtain. Romans 3.10 tells us that there's no one righteous, not a single person. Even the most saintly person that you know is not completely righteous in God's sight. Okay? And it's only God that can bring about righteousness, not us. We receive his righteousness. When we ask God to come into our life, when we ask Jesus to become our Lord and Savior, we receive from Jesus. We receive his forgiveness and we receive his salvation But after salvation becomes regeneration. In other words, God changes us on the inside so that we become more like Jesus. Our character changes. 
our thoughts and attitudes change. He's working in us to change us to become more like Jesus. And that's a lifelong process. This is where God changes our character and we become righteous. In other words, righteous means living rightly. This is a lifelong pursuit where we endeavor to be like him more every day. And him will find fulfillment. Why? Because he satisfies the longing that we have in our souls. Whether you knew this or not, you were created in the image of God. You were created for his purposes. You were created to worship him. So if there's something missing in your life, it's because you are incomplete and you don't have everything that you need. Everything that you need is found in Jesus. In him, you will be full. In him, you'll be made complete. You will be blessed. You'll be happy. You'll be satisfied and fulfilled when you are fully living for him. When you're half-heartedly living for him, you'll be miserable because of this back-and-forth tension between your flesh and spirit. Now, what do we do if we don't have a hunger for God? How do we get that? If you do not have a hunger for God, there's a simple thing you can do. Ask God for it. But yeah, I don't have a desire for him like I used to do. I, I was much more passionate when I was a new Christian. I was much more excited for God when I was younger. You know, God hasn't changed. We've changed. So we say, God, give me your passion once more. Give me your hunger for the things of God once more. It's God who draws us by his spirit closer to him. And he convicts us of our deep need for him. Matthew Henry once said this about hungering and thirsting after righteousness. He said, quote, these things we must hunger and thirst after. Which means we must really, truly desire them. As one who is hungry and thirsty desires meat and drink who cannot be satisfied by anything but meat and drink and will be satisfied with them, though other things be wanting, our desires of spiritual blessings must be earnest and importunate, saying, quote, give me these or else I die. And everything else is dross and chaff, unsatisfying. Give me these and I have enough, though I had nothing else. He goes on to say, those who hunger and thirst after spiritual blessings are blessed in those desires and shall be filled in those desires because it's the desire of God's own raising and creation and he will not forsake the work of his own hands. Basically, in other words, what he's saying here is that God gave you the capacity for physical hunger that you might pursue and fulfill it, so God also gives you the capacity for a spiritual hunger for him, and he will satisfy. He didn't put the hunger in you to not give you anything. He will always provide and always take care of it. Finally, he says, quote, they shall be filled with those blessings, and God will give them what they desire to complete their satisfaction. It's only God who can fill a soul whose grace and favor are adequate to its just desires, and he will fill those with grace for grace who in a sense of their own emptiness have recourse to his fullness. Only God can satisfy and fulfill. Only God can give the soul fullness and happiness in him. Now today, as we wrap up this 
message today, and you've been so gracious and patient. We have to realize today that we need to be hungry for the things of God. We need to have desire for the things of God. And God will speak to us if we let him. God will minister to us as we allow him to do so. But you have to be willing and choose to let God work in your heart and your life. If you need, if you have a, don't have a desire for him and a hunger for him, ask God for it. Say, Lord, today I need you. Maybe you're dry and spiritually dry and you don't have the things of God in your life. Can I encourage you, don't hide from him and don't withdraw from him or don't be passive and wait for something or someone to come into your life to change that. If you're hungry, get up and find something to eat. If you're thirsty, go and pursue the things that satisfy and let them be the things that are of the Lord. The Lord doesn't make promises he doesn't intend to keep. Take him at his word to re- and resolve to pursue him in this year. I wonder if we could take a moment and pray and just bow our heads and close our eyes as we go to the Lord. Today, my prayer for you, and I hope that your prayer is well, is it well, that God give me a hunger for you, to draw closer to you, to know you better, to do the things that I need to do in my life, to be and be about the things that you want me to do and not to be sit idling by waiting for something to happen, but instead that this would be the moment, the service, the day, the month, the year in which you choose to pursue him with all that you are. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you. Thank you that you are the one who fulfills the needs in our life. Lord, I pray that each person here would know that you are the only one that can satisfy the longings of the soul. So often, the world tries to fill the void that you're supposed to be in with other things, other desires, other pursuits, other things that they consider they're important. They try and satisfy their things with the things of this world. But Lord, you're the only one that can truly satisfy the need and longing of our souls. So this morning, I pray, in 2023, give each of us a hunger and thirst for you. May it drive us, Lord, to devotion and commitment and passion for you. May our times with you be full and rich with your presence. May you speak to us, Lord, in dreams and visions and in your word and in times of prayer. Lord, may our times this year be more productive and more blessed than any other time in our history. But Lord, may we see the results of what you'll do in us as we pursue after you. So Lord, give us that hunger. Holy Spirit, give us that thirst that they would long for you and your righteousness and that Lord, you would meet us there. We ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. We invite you to join us Sunday mornings to worship with us. We are located at 267 College Highway in Southwick, Massachusetts. For more information about Living Hope Church, visit us online at www.livinghopechurchag.org.